copy of God's Word to our Old Testament reading, Psalm 46. This will be our sermon text also, Psalm 46. This is the living and abiding Word of God. Let's give our full attention to it. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And our New Testament reading is Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. I chose this because here the Lord promises, the Lord Jesus promises, that He is with us to the end of the age. And uh, it's a fitting a uh, fitting text to pair with what we just read in Psalm 46, that the Lord Himself is with us. So Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw Him, they worshipped Him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to Me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word to us now. Lord, we pray once again. We ask once again that by your Holy Spirit you would open our eyes to see Christ and to see the glories of who you are for us, your covenant people. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Taking a little break here tonight from our series in the Westminster Shorter Catechism. It's it's Thanksgiving this week, of course, and I wanted to take a moment to uh, meditate on what we have to be thankful for. Um, so I decided that we would uh, take a short break from the catechism series that we've been doing and look at this psalm, Psalm 46. Psalm 46 is a wonderful psalm. It's a glorious psalm that tells us about who God is for us. But why, why this psalm in particular? Uh, I, I feel like it's a fitting year, uh, it's a fitting time for us to look at Psalm 46 and, and to be reminded of what we have to be thankful for in light of this psalm. There are many places in Scripture we could go to, 
think about what God has done for us and who He is for us and, and think about all His, His many blessings. Um, but Psalm 46 stands out in particular because of what it says about how the Lord is our helper, how the Lord is a refuge for His people. Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Now, if you pay attention to the sociologists, which I don't know that we should, but some of them are saying we live in an anxious age. I don't think we need them to tell us that. I think we can, we can see it around us, uh, that ours is an anxious age. It's a fearful age. Uh, we, we, we see it uh, in ourselves. We see it in, in, uh, in, in those whom we love, that there is, a, there is a fearfulness and an anxiety which seems to plague our day uh, and, and many of us. There are so many things that we can fear, and they're all over the news. Right? We've had, we're going, going strong on two years now of COVID and, and all the attenuating circumstances there and all the fears that have come from that. Um, there are the fears of, uh, uh, of our government and, and the, what, how, the, how the government's handled it one way or the other. Uh, there, there are fears about the economy and inflation and supply chains. And uh, there's, there's fears about other countries, about China, about terrorism. There's fears about technology and technology companies and what they're going to be doing and uh, the kind of control they have. And there's the fear of our increasingly... Uh, decadent and immoral culture it seems to be getting sucked down into a whirlpool of sin and, and just seems to be increasingly sinful. And there's, there's also, you know, fears that are closer to home in a sense. Fears, fears for our kids and our, or our grandchildren and how they're, how they're going to turn out. Fears for ourselves. Fears for our health. All these things. And in the midst of all that, we need to remember that there's only one place we can turn. The world, the world acknowledges that there's all these fears. And it offers us all kinds of different solutions for them. Right? If you're concerned about health, try this diet, try this exercise regime, try this doctor, it's going to get better. Or, or if you're concerned about uh, uh, politics, well, get involved and, and get the vote out and, and, and change things. Right? The, the world has ways of trying to make us feel secure and give us a refuge from the fears that are out there. But the problem, of course, is that none of them work. Not one of them works. Our hearts crave security, but everything about life in a fallen world is inherently insecure and impermanent. We, we cannot find refuge in the fallen creation. We can't find safety in the things that are made. There's only one place you can go for safety and refuge, and that's outside the creation, to the Creator Himself. Security and safety, refuge and help are found only in God. That's the message of Psalm 46. And that's why it's such a timely one for us to consider this Thanksgiving season. The psalm is, is, is broken up into three sections. Um, you can see it in your Bibles if you're following along. There, uh, there are three sections there. Verses 1 to 3 form the first section. And our first heading is a perfect and present help looking at verses 1 through 3, a perfect and present help. The psalm starts with this wonderful statement of faith. Um, the, the, my sense is that the, the psalmist, as he, as he writes this, uh, is not struggling with doubt. As he writes this, he's full of conviction and 
confidence. The, the, the opening words of this psalm ring out with a lot of courage and confidence in who the Lord is. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Sounds fearless, doesn't it? Full of confidence in the Lord. Uh, reminds me of uh, the kind of faith that Joab had when he's with his brother Abishai, right? They're the commanders of the armies of Israel under David, and, and they're there in First Chronicles 19. They are surrounded and they're outnumbered by the Syrian forces. And they, Joab turns to his brother. They, they've arranged some kind of battle plan, and then he turns to his brother and he says, Be strong, and let us use our strength for our people and for the cities of our God, and may the Lord do what seems good to him. Right? That's the kind of confidence in the Lord that that is uh, ringing true in these opening verses of Psalm 46. What do we learn here? This declaration of resolute confidence in God in verse 1. What do we see? Two things here that I'd like us to see. First, the help that God gives us is perfect. Verse 1 says He's our refuge and strength. He helps us by being our security, our place of safety, The text doesn't say He gives us these things. He says He Himself is these things for us. What does that mean for what kind of a refuge He is? It means it's perfect. It means that we can only be threatened if God is threatened. If He is our refuge, we can only be vulnerable if He is vulnerable. We can only be in harm's way if God is in harm's way. That's what verse 1 tells us, that He is our refuge. Can He be harmed? Can He be put in danger? Can He be vulnerable? No. If you are in Him, neither can you be. One man who understood this with remarkable clarity and conviction was the 19th century Presbyterian missionary to the New Hebrides, John Patton. You've probably heard of him. He's a famous missionary. He's written a lot. He wrote a lot about his time in the New Hebrides. And His memoirs of his time there among the cannibals on that island are full of uh, dramatic moments of the Lord's providence in his life. But over and over again, we see him cast himself on the Lord and find refuge in him. And this is what Patton writes about one particularly uh, hairy situation. He writes, They encircled us in a deadly ring, and one kept urging another to strike the first blow or fire the first shot. My heart rose up to the Lord Jesus. I saw him watching all the scene. My peace came back to me like a wave from God. I realized that I was immortal till my master's work with me was done. The assurance came to me as if a voice out of heaven had spoken that not a musket would be fired to wound us, not a club prevail to strike us, not a spear leave the hand in which it was held vibrating to be thrown. Not an arrow leave the bow or a killing stone the fingers without the permission of Jesus Christ, who is all power in heaven and on earth. See Patton's confidence. He's immortal till the Lord's work with him is done. The Lord is his refuge. Now, of course, this doesn't mean we should be reckless. Our Lord Jesus did not throw himself from the top of the temple to test the Lord as he was tempted to. We should not be reckless, uh, but nonetheless, our confidence 
is in the Lord, that He is our refuge. And loved ones, this isn't just a truth for missionaries on islands with cannibals. This is a, this is a truth we all need day to day in our, in, our, in our lives. The Lord is my refuge. And if I'm in Him, if I'm, if I'm resting in Him and trusting in Him, what can happen to me that is going to bring me ultimate harm? There'll be suffering, of course. As He said, there would be, even as there was for our Lord Jesus. But it's for our good. For our ultimate good. So the Lord's help, the help that God gives us, the refuge He is for us, is a perfect refuge. There are no gaps in it. There are no vulnerabilities or weak spots in the refuge He gives us. You can't say that about anything else. He's the only refuge. That's the first thing we learn here in verse 1. The second thing we learn is that this help that He gives, this refuge that He gives, is not only perfect, it's also present. Ever-present. It's accessible, is the idea. It's not a distant help. It's not an occasional help. One translation puts it very helpfully like this. God is our refuge and strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. He's always found. He's he's found in times of trouble. When trouble comes, there's not a delay in His coming to help. He's right there for the believer. He's not a distant God. He's a close God. He's with us, loved ones. We see this illustrated again so um, powerfully in Paul's life. In the end of 2 Timothy, uh, we get this little window into how Paul experienced the very present help, the, the accessible help of the Lord, his refuge. And there at the end of 2 Timothy, Paul's writing to Timothy, and he's letting him know that he stood before the, the, the Roman emperor on trial for his life, and no one showed up. None of his friends came out to help him. Uh, they were busy. They were, they were, uh, perhaps they just forgot. They, they didn't put the date in their calendars. For whatever reason, not one of his uh, co-workers is there for Paul's day in court before the emperor. Uh, and not, not, it doesn't seem like even one of the Christians from the church in Rome came to support and encourage Paul as he's on trial for his life. But nonetheless... Paul writes to Timothy this in 2 Timothy 4, 16-17. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. Paul was keenly aware that even though there was no brother and sister in Christ standing next to him, and even though he would have loved for a brother or sister in Christ to have been there, he was keenly aware the Lord himself was with him standing by him and strengthening him as he, as he faced that trial and comforting him. And, and as, as Paul is standing there before the Roman emperor, he's not afraid because he has Jesus Christ standing beside him. All authority and all power Jesus has. Apart from the sovereign will of Paul's Lord who loves him, no harm can come to Paul. Paul knew he had nothing to fear. Loved ones, don't you want that? To have that sense that the Lord is my refuge and He's right there next to me in my time of trouble. I want that. When I'm getting up to preach or when I'm going to counsel in a hard situation or there's some situation that comes up that that, that I just feel like I have no idea what to say or to do. I want the Lord there to be my help. Don't you want that in the the, the temptations that you face, in the difficulties you face, in the griefs you face, to have the Lord right there so that that you don't fear. 
As the psalmist is writing these things in, in verse 1 and talking about how the Lord is our refuge and strength, he's a very present help in time of trouble, uh, he's, not, he's not writing this in a vacuum. He's not saying, like, uh, this isn't some kind of insulated bubble of perfect safety. He's, he's, he's describing here this, uh, he goes on to describe in verses 2 to 3, a terrible scene, a fearful scene, something that would terrify anyone. And he's saying even in the midst of, even in the midst of that, uh, we, we don't need to fear. Listen to verses 2 and 3 as the psalmist goes on. He says, Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. This is no, uh, this is no calm and peaceful scene that the psalmist is talking about here. This is the end of the world that he's describing. This is, uh, this is a 9-11 moment or a... Your, your spouse has stage four cancer kind of moment that the psalmist is describing. He's saying, in that situation, I won't fear. In fact, the situation he's describing is even more than that. He's describing the judgment of God. That's what that water imagery conveys for us, right? Think of Noah's flood, the imagery there, or, or the uh, imagery in Exodus as the, as the waters of the Red Sea come down in judgment on Pharaoh's army. That's, that's the picture here in Psalm 46. It's a picture of the judgment of God. And the psalmist is saying, I will not fear even in the face of that cataclysmic judgment because God is with me, because He is my refuge. I have every reason to be full of confidence in Him and calm in my heart with Him as my refuge, even in the midst of something as terrible as this. Well, this is wonderful. Where do we go to get it? Um, the Lord is our refuge. How do, we, how do we get that? This isn't for everybody, right? Not everyone can say the Lord is my refuge. How, how do we have the Lord as our refuge? So that in the midst of the trials of this life, He's right there. And so that in, when His final judgment comes, He's my refuge, not my judge. Well, that's where the psalmist turns next to tell us where we go to find this kind of refuge and how we get it. For ourselves, and this is our next heading: the place he helps. So we saw, uh, we saw first of all the, the, his his perfect help and his present help, and now the place he helps in verses four through seven. All right. So the psalm starts right with this uh, in verses two and three. It gives us this dramatic and violent imagery of the end of the world: uh, mountains being thrown into the ocean, uh, the ocean rising up in a big tsunami wave to wipe everything out. But then suddenly, in verse 4, we get a cut to a, to a different scene, to a very peaceful scene. The scene is, in verse 4, suddenly changes to this peaceful river that's gliding serenely through a beautiful city. And the city, of course, is Zion. It's Jerusalem. It's the city where God is, uh, the, the, the place where God dwells with His people. It's the place that is uh, called here the holy habitation of God. This is where God makes His home. But it's not, the, uh, not only the earthly city of Jerusalem that's in mind here, of course. Uh, as the psalmist is writing this, Jerusalem on earth is where the Lord dwells with His people. But Jerusalem in the Old Testament, of course, is pointing us to the heavenly Jerusalem, the heavenly city, which is the heart of God's dwelling place. We get it described for us in Revelation 21, verses 2 and 3 like this. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And then Revelation 22, verse 1, goes on to describe this city like this. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. There's that imagery from Psalm 46. This Psalm 46 gives us this picture of Jerusalem, Zion, with this, this river flowing down the middle of the city street. And that's picked up in Revelation 22. Is this, is what, this is what that psalm is talking about. The heavenly Jerusalem. The river there is, the, the, is a symbol of God's blessing and His, his life-giving presence. Uh, reminds us of the rivers that are flowing out of the Garden of Eden back in Genesis chapter uh, 2. So, this is God's dwelling. Uh, this is the place of refuge. The place where God is, is the place that's safe, right? That makes sense. And that place, we're saying, is Jerusalem. The heavenly Jerusalem. The place where God is. So then the question is, well, are we waiting for that city? Right? If, if uh, that's the place of refuge, how do I get refuge now in this life when I'm not yet there? How do I enter that city? How do I become a citizen of that city? Well, Paul, helpfully, gives us the answer over in Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians 2, verses 19 through 22, Paul says this. He says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. See Paul's point there. Where is the dwelling place of God? It's, it's yes, the heavenly Jerusalem, but it's also the church here on earth. The saints. We are the dwelling place of God. We saw this in our Sunday school discussion this morning, that God has built, we, the, the church on earth is the building blocks of the heavenly Jerusalem to come. He's building us up into a dwelling place for himself. So what does this mean for where we find our refuge? Our finding our help in God? Well, if you want to have God as your refuge and strength, not be under his judgment, but, but find refuge in him, where do you need to go? You run to the place where he is promised to be, and, and you run to the church. Now, of course, we need to run to Christ first and foremost. We need to run to Christ because he's the one in whom refuge is found. But we come to him, and, and in him we, we are brought into the city of God. In him we're, we're made members of the church of God. Uh, this is, right, we, we, we find in Christ perfect refuge from the wrath of God. He took, that ref, he took the wrath of God for us. He is the one in whom we find refuge. Um, uh, but as we come to him, we come into the holy city. This, 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 this ark, if you will, like the ark of Noah that saved uh, the people of God from the flood. We come into the church, the place where Jesus Christ is the foundation, um, where we have union with him. Outside of this, uh, outside of the church, outside of Christ and his church, uh, uh, we don't find refuge. You've got to come to Christ and you've got to come to him and, 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 and become part of his heavenly city. 
outside this city. It's a very different scene. The psalm gives us this picture of the heavenly city as the place of refuge, and then it turns and it gives us the view, if we're looking out the window or looking over the wall perhaps, uh, outside is a scene of judgment. One translation has it like this, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth mounts. This is like, um, like the land of Goshen in, in Egypt, as God is sending the plagues on, on Israel as they're in Egypt in slavery. Um, they're living in the land of Goshen, and God sends the plagues on Egypt as a whole, but he spares their little part of the land. He gives them refuge there where his people are, his people have refuge. That's what the church is like. As God's judgment comes, he gives refuge to his people. It doesn't mean we don't suffer along with the world and the various things that come uh, as God brings uh, judgment on it. But it means that we are spared of the wrath of God. Uh, we experience his discipline, but not his, not his anger for our sins. Now this image of the plagues falling on Egypt is so fitting because uh, it reminds us of what makes the difference in uh, how we become a member of the place, of, of the city where, where God gives refuge. How, how do we gain entrance to it? It's, it's not that we earn uh, entrance to this city of refuge. Um, in the Exodus, right, the, the, the plagues are coming on Egypt, and what does Israel do? They, they, they paint the blood of the firstborn lambs on their doorposts so that they're covered. So the wrath of God doesn't fall on them. Someone else, a a lamb, absorbs the wrath that they deserve for their sins. And that's the same way it is as we come to to Christ. Uh, He is our refuge because he has taken on himself the wrath of God. Because his blood covers us. Loved ones, do you see see what the cross of Christ teaches us about how God is our help and our refuge? Uh, do you see what it means for God's commitment to you to be your refuge? Uh, Lord, the Lord was committed enough that he sent his son to die to be your refuge. This is not something he has done casually. This is something he is totally committed to. He is committed to your, to your security, ultimately. So loved ones, come to Christ and find refuge in him and come to the heavenly city the church that he is building, and find refuge, uh, find refuge in Christ. All right, that's that's the place where God brings refuge to His people, uh, in His in His church. What is the purpose of all this? How do we respond to all of this? The final section of the psalm, verses eight through eleven, lay this out for us. As the psalm comes to a conclusion, it gives us the purpose of his help. That's our third heading. And it gives us three points of application, uh, three things that we should do in response to what we've seen so far. The first is that it calls us to behold. Verses 8 and 9. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in fire. The psalmist says the first thing you should do now is come and behold, come look on God. Come see all that he's doing to bring peace. Yes, these are images of judgment, that, but they're images of judgment that are securing peace for his people. Come behold him. How do we, how do, we do this? How do we behold the work of God? Well, we look at Christ's work in the Scriptures as Christ crushes the serpent 
as he defeats all his and our enemies. Uh, we, we, we do this by looking at Christ in his resurrection and his ascension as he defeats death and the, and the powers of darkness and as he overcomes our sin for us. Uh, and we also do this as we look forward to the day when he comes again. And as, as uh, all the effects of sin will be wiped out forever because of him. So the first thing the psalmist says to do is to behold the glories of God as he does this. To, to see him and to see his saving work for his people as he brings peace for us and to rejoice in him and worship him. So that's the first thing, loved ones. Behold. The second thing we are to do then is to be still in verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. That command to be still is often interpreted as uh, sort of taking a deep breath, taking a step back, uh, maybe having a moment of silence or something, some, some solitude, and just kind of calming yourself down. Uh, but that's not really what's in view here. It's not just, um, it's not just you know, a moment of peace in the early morning before the kids are up and you're sipping your coffee, as nice as that is. Uh, it's really, it's really um, more like a, a, a mom telling her toddler, sit still and be quiet. Be still. Stop fretting. Stop being anxious. The Lord is saying to his people, stop your anxious fretting. Sit still. I am God. You are my child. You are a creature, not the creator. Sit still. And remember, I'm God. You're not. I'm going to act. It's, it's almost a rebuke, really, for God's people. Sit still. Be quiet. Trust me. This is so challenging for us, isn't it? We want, to be, we want to be taking care of things. We want to be working on things and doing things and fixing things and improving things and solving problems. And of course, we should do those things. Um, it's a time and place to be doing all that. But, but never with the sense that I am the one handling this. That's our tendency. Always with the sense that God is the one who's going to save. He is the one who's going to be God. My effort doesn't make the difference. His work makes the difference. Be still. Trust that He is God and you are not. He saves. You don't. Um, he will fix the problem. He will, he will, uh, he will uh, bring salvation for His people. He is God. The third thing, so we're, we're to behold His glory as He brings peace. We're, uh, we are to be still and remember that He is God. The third thing we are called to do in the text is to believe. Believe. Believe that God will exalt His name. Believe that He will, uh, that he will bring uh, His name glory as He defeats His enemies, as He, as he uh, gives His people peace. Believe that He is the Lord of hosts, the, the Lord of heavenly armies. As, as, that, as that says in the text there, that He is our fortress and our refuge and our strength. We're to trust Him. Loved ones, this is who God is for you. This is who God has been for you this year. Whatever your year is held, if you are a Christian in Christ, this is who God has been for you. Uh, maybe you haven't felt like it, Maybe, maybe you, you haven't had a strong sense of his presence with you. Maybe you've struggled to believe his promises and uh, you've, you've let fear and anxiety take hold. But the wonderful thing is, that doesn't mean he wasn't your refuge the whole time. His being our refuge does not depend on our confidence in him. 
Right? The, 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 uh, the ability of God to keep us and care for us does not depend on our trust in Him. It depends on Him. As, uh, as one pastor puts it, a small faith still gets the whole Christ. A small faith still gets all of God as your refuge. The strength of His care for you does not depend on the strength of our faith, loved ones. So this is who He has been for us this year. This is who He has been for you every step of your uh, Christian life. And loved ones, this is who He will be for you in the coming year. Whatever it holds, He will be your refuge, your your ever-present help. So loved ones, as you come to Thanksgiving on Thursday, bear this in mind. Remember who the Lord is for you as your refuge and strength and give thanks to Him for it. And as you consider what lies ahead in the coming year, trust Him to be your refuge again. Let's pray together. Lord, You are our mighty fortress, our never-failing defense, our refuge. And we would, we would find uh, all, all our refuge in You. Keep us from trusting other things, earthly things, for refuge. Help us to flee to You alone for safety. We thank You for Christ. We thank You that He's given entrance to the heavenly city where we find perfect peace and rest. It's in His name we pray. Amen.